Well, if you want to find your place in your Bible, it's Psalm 4. Thank you, Brother David. Psalm 4. We're going to read all of that psalm in just a moment. I'm going to suspend my series or the series on joy for the journey for this week. We'll see how next week goes. Um, I know there's a lot of people who want to hear that study through Philippians. And so I, I want to make sure that everybody has that opportunity and um, uh, maybe we'll be able to do better uh, uh, in the coming weeks uh, with the people being able to get into the services. Uh, Psalm chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in these next few minutes as we, we change today from where we have been studying the book of Philippians to do something different this week, maybe something different next week, I pray, Father, that you'll help us to, to grasp this truth. Lord, this could truly help us all to find peace in these moments of, of strife and difficulty and, and tribulation and trials. When we're tended, we tend to be fearful and anxious. Lord, Lord I pray that this message might help us to find peace in solitude. In your name I pray, amen. I love Psalm 4, but one of the things you should know about it is that it really goes with Psalm 3. In other words, these two Psalms work together. If you look back in chapter 3, verse 5, you see he says, I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. But then in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 3 was called a morning psalm. Uh, psalm 4 was called an evening psalm. And, and these two psalms were spoken or sung, one in the morning, one in the evening. Uh, psalm 3 in the morning, Psalm 4 in the evening. And these psalms are about peace. Uh, they're about peace. David is surrounded by something that's troubling him. It is likely, though we don't have specific details, it is likely that this was when Absalom, his son, rebelled against him and seized control of the kingdom. And David had to flee for his life for a time. And consequently, verses 2, 3, 4, and 5, he's talking to those who have followed Absalom. They need to get right with God. They need to stop seeking falsehood. They need to stop loving that which is worthless and so forth. But there's some kind of trouble that's, in, that's lurking in the shadows that David is talking about. And yet he says, in the morning, I wake up because the Lord has sustained me. And I go to bed at night uh, in peace and sleep 
for the Lord has made me to dwell in safety. And so David is using these two psalms as a morning and evening uh, psalms for us to be able to learn the importance of the matter of peace and being at peace. And that even when there are enemies that are seeking to destroy us, as with David, we can have peace in the midst of that turmoil. We can have peace in the midst of those difficulties. I think one phrase is interesting in verse 1. He says, you have relieved me in my distress. And the Hebrew literally indicates moving out of a tight corner into an open space. <laughs> think about that in light of the coronavirus and all that's going around. You know, at this moment, we're in a tight space. We're all sort of gathered together at our houses, sort of hunkered down, staying in that tight space. But won't it be nice when we get delivered into that big open space again? And we get to go back to life as we normally live it. And, and David was relieved that God did that for him. And, and notice that this particular solitude, this particular peace that he had, it came as a result of his prayer. At the end of verse 1, he says, hear my prayer. At the end of verse 3, he says, the Lord will hear when I call to him. And so David knew that the peace he needed in the morning and the evening and to carry him through the day was a peace that could only come from God. And he's calling out to God, even though he's surrounded by troubles, even though there's trials and tribulations around him, there are those who would love to kill him. Nevertheless, David is at peace. He gets up in the morning, the Lord sustained him, he goes to bed at night, and he sleeps and he dwells in safety because the Lord has given him that kind of a peace. And that's what I want to talk about for a little while today, finding peace uh, in solitude. When I talk about solitude, there's two kinds that we could talk about. One of them we're going to talk about at length. One of them not so much at length. The first kind of solitude is the kind of solitude that takes place inside of us. We might refer to it as peace. It's something that can be enjoyed by every one of us, no matter if we're surrounded by 100 people or 500 people or 1,000 people. There's that sense that God is watching over us. There's that sense that God is taking care of us. There's the sense that no matter what's happening around us, that God is in control of everything, and there is a solitude within us that allows us to just settle down and be at peace. It's what Jesus talked about in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace, Jesus said, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid. And he was talking not necessarily about something outside that everything around him, the troubles around him would go away, but he was talking about that inner solitude, that inner peace that all of us desire to experience, especially when we're going through times of trouble or trials. And I want to remind you that that peace is not something you work up. It's not something that you manipulate. It's not self-manufactured, and it's not mass-produced. The kind of peace I'm talking about is a kind of peace that God works in our hearts. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, you'll, you'll recognize these verses. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, what's the next word? Peace. Please note that peace is a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. This is not self-manufactured. This is not mass-produced. This is not something you work up. I'm going to work myself into peace. Never happened. 
The kind of peace that Jesus wants to give that's that inner solitude is the kind of peace that is produced as we walk with God and we live for God and we know God and we abide in God. God produces that peace and he gives us that peace when we most need that peace. And so that's one kind of solitude. It's that inner solitude. But what I want to talk about is a second kind of solitude that leads to that peace the kind of inner solitude that we so long to experience. And the solitude I'm speaking about is the kind of solitude when we get alone with God and we spend time in his presence. And we're forced to do that right now, aren't we? To get alone, that is. Uh, Self-isolation, stay at a distance from people, stay inside your house, don't get out any more than you have to get out. And we find ourselves isolated and alone in solitude, You know, unfortunately, a lot of people in these moments of solitude will find themselves playing, only playing uh, computer games and something on their phone, or they'll be watching television, which, what is there to watch? I mean, Major League Baseball's been delayed, XFL is off. They, listen, when you, when you delay the masters, when you postpone the masters, you have, you have affected the divine. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's no soccer, there's no basketball, and you got reruns, (laughs) and then a lot of the things that are on TV aren't worth watching anyway. So what are you going to do with this time? And I suggest to you that during these moments when we're self-isolating and we're getting alone and being away from people, that this is a great opportunity for us to have solitude alone with God. To spend some of this time, not all of it, but spend some of this time alone in the presence of God because this kind of solitude where we separate ourselves out from all of the busyness and all of the activities, and we're forced to do so right now, to separate ourselves out from all the busyness and all the activities of life, from all the distractions that are going on around us, to turn off the news. I'm not sure that the 24-hour cycle helps us. Sometimes it does, sometimes I don't. I'm not so sure that it helps us. You don't have to agree with me. That's just my opinion. Turn off the news because they're wanting you to stay watching and keep watching. It's every moment. It's a breaking news story, a breaking news story, a breaking news story. Do you realize what happens is they steal your solitude, the inner solitude from you, and they steal the moments of separating yourself out and having solitude when you just get alone with God and you spend time with God in his presence. A few years ago, my son called me and he told me that he was going on a spiritual retreat with a group of pastors. They were going to fly from Dallas, Texas to Colorado and they were going to be staying in the mountains of Colorado in cabins. They couldn't take cell phones, they couldn't take iPads, they couldn't take computers with them, you know, laptop computers with them. There were going to be no television sets. They were going to spend 72 hours, three days, 72 hours in solitude. This is what I'm talking about. Not necessarily three days, but getting away for a few minutes on a day to spend with God. They were going to get away for 72 hours. They were going to be alone. They had to bring with them their Bibles. They had to bring a journal so they could write what God was showing them, what God was teaching them, something to write with, obviously. And he basically was just telling me, you know, I'm going to be out of contact. You're not going to be able to reach me. Katie will be at home. You call her if you need her. But you won't be able to reach me. I won't be able to call you. We won't be able to talk together for the next three days. I'll never forget that when he came back, and uh, he was glad to get home, obviously. He'd been gone for three days. But he was glowing in a way that I had not seen him before. 
Because he said he was amazed that when you get alone and you remove the distractions that keep you from hearing the voice of God, he says it's amazing when the noise is gone around you, how much clearer you can hear what God is saying to you. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, you husbands or you wives, the TV's up pretty loud, and you know there's things going on all around you in the house, and you say something to your spouse, and he or she doesn't answer. And you know the reason why? Because they're distracted by a dozen other things, right? <laughs> right? They're distracted by a dozen other things. But when all of that stuff goes away and you speak, it's much more likely they're going to hear, well, in some cases, much more likely that they're going to hear what you have to say. And when we sometimes move ourselves away, as we're being forced to do in these days ahead, being, being able to move away, shut down some of the distractions. You don't want to watch reruns on TV. All the sports that we usually watch are gone. Suddenly we wonder to ourselves, what are we going to do? May I suggest to you, may I suggest to you solitude. Take some of those moments. Take some of those moments and remove yourself and spend those moments with God. At that particular time in JD's life, he was in the process of changing uh, jobs and ministry and he was moving from one place to another. He and Katie were expecting uh, their first child, and they were in the process of buying a house. That's a lot of noise. That's, that's a lot of noise for a young couple to be, to be dealing with. And yet he said, in those three days, I heard God in ways that I had never heard him before. And, you know, there's nothing much more exciting than when you hear your children talking about having heard from God. Having been with God and knowing that God had spoken to their hearts, there's nothing that'll make you much more happy than those kinds of things in life. And God wants to speak to you and God wants to speak to me. But the problem is too often we're so busy, we're so active, there's so many schedules we have to keep that we don't have time for solitude. And here we are in a situation where we're forced into a measure of solitude. Why not give some of that time to God and say, God, I, I want to hear your voice. I, I want to hear what you're saying to me, and I want to talk to you in these moments. I want to give some of this time to you because I know that kind of solitude will lead to an inner solitude of peace that I so desperately want to experience in my life. Th think about it for a moment in, in a different way. Think about your computer. Don't you love computers? Mm, maybe not. I'm thankful sometimes, and other days I'm not so thankful. Uh, you know, now you, you hold a computer in your hand. Do you realize that you hold in your hand a computer that probably has more power than what computers used to have that took up a whole room? It's, it's an incredible thing. It's why they cost so much. What used to cost a bunch to put on your desk cost a bunch to put in your hand. And you got this computer. You, you know what I'm talking about, whether it's something that's in your hand or whether it's on your desk. And suddenly it locks up. Don't you love it, that blue screen of death? And it locks up. It, you know, you push the buttons and, and nothing will happen. And you can't figure out, well, why won't the cursor move? Why won't, the cur why won't this program on my phone come up? My wife does this to me all the time. She, she'll say, say honey, the, the pr program won't work. And she just keeps poking it. You know, the and here's what I tell her. I said, have you swiped it off the screen? That means to close the program. Oh, yeah, yeah I've told her that a hundred times. Have you, have you swiped it off the screen? She's just not a techie kind of person. That's okay. I mean, you have to be reminded of those kind of things. I have to be reminded of other things. You know, just swipe it off the phone. You know, there's something about a computer. It has a brain. Not a very good one, 
but it has a brain. And somehow, the computer code gets locked up inside that brain. Now, you know what happens when it gets locked up like that. At least it used to be this way. Uh, I haven't called technology like that, you know, tech help in a long time. But it used to be this way when it locked up. When you first had your first computer and it locked up like that, you, you, you look for that 800 number. And you call that 800 number that was supposed to give you technical help. And you were talking to somebody in India. Right? That's not being critical. I'm just saying, talking to somebody in India. And, and they're trying to explain to you, the first thing they always tell you to do, have you rebooted your computer? Have you turned it off and left it off for 10 or 15 seconds and turned it back on? You know, after two or three times of making that phone call, I, I just went ahead and did that first before I made the phone call, right? You know what happens when you turn it off? Somehow that code that gets all locked up inside the memory of this computer sort of dissipates and goes away so that when the programs reload, it gets loaded back in there the way it's supposed to. That's what solitude does for us. There's a spiritual computer. The code gets locked up inside of our spiritual lives. It gets confused with all of the activity and all of the business in our lives spiritually just sort of lock up and we just hit the off button. And we get away for a few minutes, and we say, I'm going to spend some time with God. I'm going to listen to God speak to me, and I'm going to speak to God in prayer. It may be 15 minutes. It may be 30 minutes. It may be an hour. You may just choose someday to take a whole day, or maybe two days, or three days, 72 hours like our son did. Maybe that's something you'll want to do someday. But you get alone for a few minutes, and you turn it off. All the distractions, you turn it off, and you let your spiritual computer reset itself so that things begin to work in the fashion they're supposed to work. There's a spiritual reboot that takes place in solitude. And why am I talking about this? Because we're sort of forced into social isolation. And these are moments when we can spend that time in the presence of God and not feel guilty for spending those moments in the presence of God. And maybe develop out of that a habit, a, a discipline that would become a way of life so that you would realize the significance of it and want more of it as you go forward after all of the crisis has gone away to realize that, wow, that solitude, that time of getting away and spending a little time with God creates within me a a solitude, a, a peace deep within me that nothing around me can ever take away. That's what Jesus did. Jesus had that kind of solitude when he separated himself from the people. For instance, at the inception of his ministry, he spent 40 days and nights in the wilderness, according to Mark chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Before Jesus chose the 12 as his apostles, he spent the entire night alone with his father, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. When he received the news that John the Baptist had been martyred, he went to be alone, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. After miraculously feeding 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread, he went, he went away by himself, Mark chapter 14, verse 23. Following a long night of helping those that were sick and infirmed, Jesus withdrew to a lonely place. That's what he called it, to a lonely place, a place of solitude in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. 
When his 12 disciples returned from their preaching mission, Jesus instructed them about the importance of solitude. If I, if I could paraphrase that verse, it's Mark chapter 6, verse 31. If I could paraphrase that verse, you come apart or you'll come apart. You know what I'm saying? You come apart from the crowds for a while or you're going to come apart at the seams. That's what he was saying in essence. That's a paraphrase of what Mark 6, 31 says. But Jesus was teaching them about the importance of solitude after healing a leper. Jesus went to be alone from, from the many demands on him in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. With three of his disciples, he sought a private place on a mountain for the transfiguration in Matthew 17, 1 to 9. And just before he was arrested and taken away to his crucifixion, he sought a quiet place where? In the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 46. Do you see what those verses are telling us? They're, they're reference points for us. That this is something that Jesus practiced. And if we say we are Jesus followers, then we need to work this into our practice. And because we're at a place in time in our community and in our society when it's sort of forced onto us anyway, let's take advantage of it and maybe develop out of it a routine a practice, a discipline, so that that solitude that we have on a daily basis produces that inner solitude of peace that we so desperately long to enjoy. One author writes this, what makes solitude so important? That's a question. What makes solitude so important? Solitude is the one place where we gain freedom from the forces of society that will otherwise relentlessly mold us. Let me read it again. What makes solitude so important? Solitude is the one place where we can gain freedom from the forces of society that will otherwise relentlessly mold us. Do you know why a lot of us are anxious, especially me? You know why we're anxious? Because you sit in front of 24-hour-a-day news. And every few minutes is breaking news. It's usually the same thing you heard the last time, but it's breaking news because they got somebody else that's going to tell you something that somebody else didn't tell you. Is anybody with me? I know there's not a lot of, a lot of us here today, but you're, you're, those of you that are here, you're with me, aren't you? If you're watching online, just say amen. Just type amen. <laughs> I mean, we sit in front of it and we watch it over and over. Uh, you, you know, one of the things that, uh, this, please, this is not, I'm not criticizing, I'm just telling you, this is me. Computer games drive me crazy. I start out having fun, and before long, <laughs> any of you like that? Yeah, yeah, some of you, you know, it, why does it this, you know, I'm telling you all my secrets now, but you know, there's something about solitude when you get away from the computer games, and you get away from the phone, and you get away from all of the activities and the busyness, and we're forced to do that right now. Maybe we can learn the discipline of doing this to get alone and say, God, I'm not going to just watch TV, the reruns. I'm not just going to play computer games. I'm not just going to look for housework to do. I'm going to spend some of this time opening my Bible and listening to what you have to say to me and me talking to you in prayer and having a two-way conversation with God in this moment of solitude so that what results from that is an inner solitude that God desires for all of us to enjoy. Have you noticed that all of the things that they tell us are going to make our lives easier 
never do. You notice that? They tell you that if you get you a cell phone that does all of these different things, that the end result is that you're going to have an easier and simpler life. Have you found that that cell phone doesn't make your life any easier or any simpler? I don't go to the bathroom without my cell phone. I don't take a shower in the morning without my cell phone, not in the shower, but sitting over on the counter. I don't sit, by my, I don't sit in my chair at the house without my cell phone sitting next to, to me on, on the table. I don't go to bed at night without my cell phone plugged in right there at my head. I'm sure all those rays are probably doing something to my brain. I don't go out of the house without my cell phone. I don't go anywhere without my cell phone. I don't go anywhere without my cell phone. And if I happen to forget my cell phone, I feel like I'm missing a piece of clothing. You know, I'm sorry. I meant to wear the shirt today and I just forgot it. So I struggle with the same thing you struggle with. I'm not preaching down to you. I'm telling us. Here we are at a moment when we're having to force ourselves to isolate ourselves to some degree from others, to spend time separated from others, and using those moments, these moments, to spend it with God in solitude so that we can have an inner solitude and maybe out of that develop a desire that we will want to do this on a regular, on a regular basis. In the process of all the hurry we've succumbed to exactly what the scripture says should never happen in the life of a believer. We've become conformed to the mold of the world. What is that mold? It's our schedule. Does your calendar look like mine? I mean, I push, push it and it comes up and tells me everything for that day, every, every hour of that day. And we find ourselves molded by our schedule. I'm not saying you don't need your calendar. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that there need to be moments when we can walk away from our calendar or the calendar begins to conform us. Isn't that what Jesus was, or what Paul was talking about in Romans 12? When he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world. One of the ways we find ourselves conformed is by the busyness. And why are our minds renewed? How are our minds renewed? Our minds are renewed when we get over here for a few minutes in solitude with God and we listen to what his word has to say to us. And we talk back to God. And maybe you, maybe you haven't done that very much. And, and you go to sleep the first few times. That's okay. You probably needed the rest. You go to sleep. And when you wake up, especially right now when there's that isolation going on, forced on us, and you, get, you get up and you say, okay, I'm going to keep reading. <laughs> you know, I, I slept for a few minutes. Now I'm going to keep reading and I'm going to keep talking to God. And the more you talk to God, the more you read what God is saying to you, the more that inner solitude comes within your own heart. One author said the early church fathers placed such a premium on solitude because they considered society to be a shipwreck from which any sane person must swim for his life. Think about that. Society is a shipwreck from which you have to swim to save your life. But you know what happens to too many of us, including this preacher sometimes? Instead of sw swimming away from the shipwrecked society, I get caught up in a riptide-like effect that just keeps pulling me out to my own demise, out to my own destruction. 
You ever been caught in a riptide? You know what I'm talking about. You can't stop it. You just have to go with it. And you find yourself, rather than swimming away from the shipwreck of society, you find yourself being sucked into it, being caught up with it. One 19th century theologian and philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, wrote, the press of busyness is like a charm. Its power smells. It reaches out, seeking always to lay hold of ever younger victims so that childhood or youth are scarcely allowed the quiet and the retirement in which the eternal may unfold a divine growth. I question sometimes, I wonder sometimes if we're not doing more damage to our children's spiritual lives by keeping them so very busy. That they don't need as well times of solitude to be able to get alone and be quiet and to see mom and dad teach them that mom and dad spend time with God. They spend time with God. Now look, you're not going to go out of here and sit an hour and say, I'm going to spend an hour with God. It ain't going to happen. Maybe you're going to go out of here and over these next, next two weeks, you're going to find 10 minutes here and maybe 15 minutes over there and maybe you'll get to 30 minutes there. But you start somewhere. You say, God, I want to learn this. I want to be able to live with an inner solitude that comes from separating myself out at times and getting out of my mind, rebooting my mind so that I can focus on that which is really true and know that you're watching over me and you're taking care of me. Can I tell you what's happening in the process of the endless activity for ourselves and for our children and for others, what we're actually doing is we're trading a robust faith for a rushed, preoccupied, and distracted version of the faith. And it's mediocre at best. We've come to believe that following Jesus can be done in a hurry, systematized into a fast food delivery system. Just, just ask any preacher on a Sunday morning that goes beyond the time. like sitting at the McDonald's line, the guy, you can't figure out, why aren't they taking his order? Why aren't they taking my order when you get up there? Why don't they open the window and take my money? Why don't they give me my food at that second window? And why did they leave out the very thing I wanted when I drove off? I see some of you are laughing. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because you eat too healthy. The fact is, not until we take time to get away daily and at other times do we really begin to learn what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to make a couple of statements here. I want you to listen carefully. I wrote them out. Listen carefully. What has happened in the process of all our daily rush is that modern Christianity has traded wisdom for information and intellect. We have college degrees but we have no spiritual depth or understanding. We've started insisting that spiritual maturity be delivered to us at a point in time rather than through a process that takes time. As a matter of fact, I've had, you know, making the decision to do what we did, encourage people that had any compromise of their immune system, wasn't, that wasn't a hard thing to do. It wasn't a hard thing to do. You just tell people if you're sick, you have health crises of some kind, you have a compromised immune system, you're in a certain age bracket, look, just stay home and watch us from television. Just, just watch us from the live stream. That's pretty easy to do. 
But the second part was, then do we go on with those who feel like they can come? And it's a tough decision. On one side, you've got people who say, if you do that, you're, you're a fool. On the other side, you've got people who are saying, you don't have any faith. If you you choose one path or the other, you get shot from one side. If you choose the path that some reason I chose, you get shot from both sides. You're both foolish and lack faith. You You get shot from both sides. Here's the point. You can't do discipleship online. You can't do discipleship online. You, you can do this for a while. We, we can have, and th- are we thankful for it? We have shut-ins that this is the only way they can, they can come to church. We're thankful for that. We have other people that work jobs and they take off time to watch the service and then go back to work. We're thankful for the, the opportunity. But, but discipleship is about life on life. I mean, there's only so much you can do through a keyboard in your hands. What, what did Jesus say in, in Mark chapter 3? He said he had chosen these 12, do you know the next words? To be with him. Discipleship is about life on life. It's about getting together, helping each other, encouraging one another, loving one another. A holy kiss, but not today. As a matter of fact, you come at me trying to kiss me, maybe never. You know what I'm saying? A holy kiss today is a handshake, but not today. I mean, there's, there's that personal interaction. And somehow we, we've come to believe that spiritual life is something that's delivered to us at a point in time rather than through a process that takes time. As a matter of fact, I see people and I have dealt with people that are so busy, they have what they call, sun, uh, they have what they call sunset fatigue. That is, they have worked so hard and been so busy through the course of the day that when they come home, they are so tired, they don't have enough love and enough energy to love the very ones they made the deepest promises of life because they're so busy. You know, there's something about pulling away, and we're being forced to do that, pulling away, spending time with God, letting God speak to us, us speak to God. It helps us to see what's really important in life, what's really valuable, what's really most significant, and helps us to have that inner solitude that God desires. We have to ruthlessly, hear the word, we have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Oh man, I've got a long way to go. I have not mastered this. We have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry so that we can find planned periods of solitude. And here's one that's being forced on us. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. God wants to speak within you a peace that passes all understanding. He wants to help you with the anxiety. He wants to help you with the fear. But you're not going to get it if you don't get alone and turn off all the distractions and say, God, it's just me and you in you and me, and I'm listening, and I'm talking to you. There's so many things that are draining us and depleting us and sapping us and stressing our souls, and it doesn't take a coronavirus to do it, does it? They're there. So you might be asking the question, okay, I I got it, preacher. I'm almost through, by the way. Say, I got it. We're having to separate for a period of time. We're not going to be getting together Sunday nights and in life groups. And, you know, we're going to have to, you know, we go to the restaurant, we pick it up and take it home. 
Uh, we, we drive up, they bring it out to us. You know, we go in the grocery store. You should pray about that before you do that. And make sure to get TP while you're there. You go to the grocery store and, you know, it's, it's mass bedlam everywhere you go. And, and here we are, we're at a position where we have to self-isolate. And it was as if God was saying to me, I don't hear audible voices, by the way. If I do, I'll see a doctor. It was as if God was saying to me, you know what, this is an opportunity for us to use some time when people are going to have time to learn to spend with me and maybe out of it, we'll, we'll, wet the, we'll prime the pump. We'll prime the pump and they'll want more of it in the days that are yet to come because what I want to produce within them is a peace, a solitude that helps them rest when the whole world around them is going crazy. Do you know what happens when you get into a place of solitude? You can hear more clearly the voice of God speaking to you. You're able to spend more time in meaningful prayer. You can recharge your spiritual and emotional batteries. Have y'all done this? Have y'all done this? Have you ever, you know, just had a really hectic day? You came home and the television's blaring or, you know, whatever, and you just, you, you turn everything off. Not your wife or your husband, but you turn everything off and you just sat in silence. Some of you are nervous right now. You're about to come out of your shoes. You just sat in silence and you thought, man, this is so wonderful. That's what solitude is supposed to produce in our lives. It helps us gain a better perspective of life and avoid the rushes, the rush decisions that we sometimes make. It helps us to develop, uh, to do away with developing a self-inflated ego where we think that we don't need God. We can just do all this on ourselves I mean, solitude is an opportunity for us to have inner solitude and to change our lives for the better. You know, I'll close with this. Somebody says, well, I, I just I will never be able to find time for that. You know, I, I'm just too busy. I have too many things going on uh, to have solitude in my life. Do you hear the error in that statement? Do you hear the error? Well, if you don't, let me just, it took me a while to hear it. Let me just ask you a question. What else in life is more important than spending uninterrupted time alone with God? What else in life is more important than spending uninterrupted time alone with God in prayer? Spending time alone with God in his word. What else is more important? If you can answer that question for me, then we'll make an exception for you, for me. There isn't anything more important. Growing up as a boy, as a matter of fact, as a man, I saw this. I would, I would come out of the back of the house where we lived, just a very simple house, three-bedroom house, one, one story or three-bedroom house. I'd come out of the my, my back of my house, headed out to do something, whatever it was, and I'd see my mother sitting in her chair. She had a chair that was her chair. And she'd be sitting in her chair and her Bible would be open on her lap like this. And Mama, I don't know why she did this. She, she read like this. That couldn't be good for your back. But she read like this, just looking down at her lap. And she was reading her Bible. I, I can't tell you hundreds of times 
when, as a grown man, I saw her do that. When I go visit her, I'd see her get her Bible out, put it in her lap, and, and she would read it until she got macular degeneration and she could no longer see. I mean, she could see peripherally, but she couldn't see direct, uh, you know, directly on. And she couldn't read her Bible. You know what she missed to the last day of her life? Being able to put her Bible in her lap, being able to spend time reading it and listening to God and talking to God. There isn't anything more important. There isn't anything more important. In that kind of solitude, we can find peace in solitude. That kind of solitude will help us during turbulent days to find that inner solitude of peace that God wants to give.